All right. Dad, this is this is big. Yep. Season finale. We're sitting here after 20 episodes, over 20 episodes. Correct. About to cap off season one of our inaugural Marathon Minute podcast. I actually want to have a special episode where we can reflect on this whole okay. season and process, but just... A great idea. Initial thoughts. What's, well, what's going through my initial head? thoughts are that it has been just a really eye-opening experience talking to 21 folks uh, and hearing their perspectives. And we've been really lucky, I think, with our guests and how candid and open they've been with us. Yeah. I don't think we could have put together a better group of guests if we tried. I mean, we've been re- really privileged with the people we've we've spoken to and the conversations we've had. And I like to think that we're just getting started. I think so. Can I tell you about something that really kind of special happened to me this weekend? I would love to. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, your mom and I, Barry, went up to the Cal-Oregon game, which was being played in the, at, at Oregon. Austin. Yeah, the Austin Stadium. And we get there early, and we're tailgating, and we're walking around. Wait, the- hold on. I did see a photo circulate of you potentially throwing back a fifth of Fireball. Yes, not a whole fifth. but I know, but you were just throwing it back out of the bottle. That's very uncharacter of you. I was with a very... Uh, unsavory crowd up there, uh, a bunch of Oregon fans uh, who do it right when it comes to tailgating. It's a pretty great photo. But that wasn't my story. <laughs> okay, sorry. I, the s- listeners just need to see I had a you. great Marathon Minute moment. Okay. Ooh, at, I like the sound of that Marathon Minute moment. Yeah. We were walking around the outside of the stadium before game time, and we ran into someone who uh, is an Oregon resident, uh, who is an Oregon fan, who knows... Um, some of the folks we were with, and they introduced me as Michael Ornstill. And I met this kid, and he said, hold on, um, I'm, I listen to Marathon Minute, and I, lo- I love your podcast. Wow. And that was a moment for me. That was um, a highlight of our season one. That's incredible. Who was it? Do you remember who it was? Connor um, Woolworth. Shout out Connor. Appreciate you listening, bro. I hope you're listening to this one. <laughs> yeah, that was a really good moment for me because it was unsolicited. Yeah. And that's how he greeted me when he knew who I was. He said, I love your podcast. You're no longer going to be Michael the Mediator, Michael, Madison, and Max's dad. You are Michael from Marathon Minute Podcast. Get am, used to that recognition because... Late in life, I am establishing an entirely new identity, a reason to be. That's incredible. Well, yeah. yeah, that's that's why we do what we do. That's what it's all about. I was beaming, to tell you the truth. I really had a hop in my step from that point on. That's incredible. And even though our well, Cal Bears lost, I was feeling good. That's great. Well, now I have a hop in my step. Um, not only is this our season finale, but this is a guest that is closest to our hearts than any guest we've had. Special guest. My sister. My daughter. Your daughter, Madison Ornstill. And she thought we were playing hard to get, you know. We we told her she should be a guest, and she thought we were just dragging her along, maybe playing hard to get. Little did she know, this was all in the plan. We wanted to end with a bang with Madison Ornstill. That's right. A special, special episode. Someone who... Has an unbelievable story. She really and does. I, it, it's an unbelievable story, and I think that was overlooked at times. And now she's starting to to own her story and to tell her story because it has so much value, so much inspiration. You know, you think that 
someone, a lot of our guests are athletes. Right. And she's in the athlete world, but she's on a whole other side of things. And I think people, especially when they look at athletes growing up, they look at them as role models when Madison is just as much as a role model as any athlete. She's helping put these athletes you know, in these positions to be successful and to be role models. And she's breaking glass ceilings. She's doing some incredible things, impacting her industry in unbelievable ways. And she takes us along for the ride, which is, you know, so unselfish of her. And it's been so lucky of us to to be able to experience her rise and her journey, you know, alongside her. She takes us with her. I have so many Madison stories that never made it to the pod, but I'll tell you one that happened last weekend. We're at the WNBA Finals. She took me to the uh, finals of the Phoenix-Chicago uh, Sky first game in, uh, in Phoenix. And we're sitting on the floor, and all these folks are coming up to us, uh, WNBA players, ESPN announcers, agents, general managers, and they're all coming up to us and saying, Hi, Maddie, how you yeah. doing? Because she has made such a mark in the WNBA. And for from a father, it was really a cool moment to see your kid getting that kind of recognition. She really has made a mark in the sports industry in which she works. You know, she kind of reminds me of a Keith Hulamar, you know, a guy who started out in the warehouse at Nike, yeah, st- uh, stocking shoes, and goes on to be a Nike executive. Well, Madison started out at the Adidas store on Michigan Avenue in Chicago, selling Adidas shoes, right? Yeah. And she. Uh, parlays that into kind of a high-level role of Adidas, kind of running their WNBA operations. Yeah, and now she's pivoted to being an agent with Wasserman, which I think just opens up some unbelievable possibilities for her. But kind of as you said, it's really cool to hear her talk about some of the experience she's had and impact she's made, but it's even cooler when you're able to experience it firsthand. Like seeing her interact with a Candace Parker or a Kyle Lowry and seeing how close that relationship is and it's like it's not like oh your guys are doing business together it's like you are impacting each other's lives who in turn is impacting the world so it's like it's so cool to see her impact firsthand and i think something that she does that a lot of people don't is she brings family along you know and really puts us in the room with her which is it's so cool well we certainly have been the beneficiaries of of her uh her life with Adidas and as a sports agent. And I think what, I, what I've what i noticed about Madison and her relationship with, um, her professional relationship with the Kyle Lowry's, with the Candace Parker's, with the NECA Ogumakes, is that uh, she definitely has a professional business relationship with them, but she also has a different relationship than yeah. just business. And I think that's why she's successful. Yeah. Her athletes know she cares about them, not just about the business side, but about them. As people. Yes. Yeah. And and we get into that actually in the episode a bit. It is a long episode. We tell all of Madison's story, which you deserve to hear every word of it. I was trying to edit it down, but it's like there's all of it plays a role in her story. So I kept it all in. Yes. But, um, you know, one thing I thought she would mention that she did That didn't... was kind of my cue to kind of keep this short, and you just wanted to... Right. <laughs> Let's well, let them get to... They can hear the, the story firsthand, you know? Okay. Okay. Well, I just want to mention that she didn't mention that I broke her collarbone as a kid playing well, that, football. That's probably a story she doesn't want to relive. And she now tells you just... it all the time. I, she tells it every <laughs> okay. chance she gets. Settle down. You just brought it back up. Okay. Uh, also, if you're listening to this... Our first merchandise drop yes. is officially live. If you're listening to this, the logos tee. I spent a lot of time, energy, 
hours, blood, sweat, and tears went into these teas. Premium quality. You'll see it if you get one. Um, I've worn one. I've modeled one. And they're great. They're actually great t-shirts. I appreciate that. Really well done, Max. Uh, You did everything about them. And they're nice t-shirts. Well designed, good quality, nice fit, and sharp. Yeah. So if you support the show, support us with getting a tea. You know, keep sharing us. They are limited edition. I mean... Limited quantity. Yeah. I may do a restock. Who knows? Go online. But yeah, check it out. Uh, It is a long episode, so I don't know if we'll have an ad. Brought to you by Cafe Fanny Granola. My favorite granola. They are the best. I need to restock. Cafe Fanny, if you're listening, we need more granola. Um, It will get consumed. Yes. Okay, let's get to episode 20. Last of season one. Madison Ornstill. Madison Ornstill. This is a legendary conversation with a legendary person near and dear to our hearts. Yep. Episode 20. Marathon Minute. Let's go. We have in studio our most special guest yet, closest to our hearts, my sister, my dad's daughter, Madison and Ornstone. <laughs> Mad dog. Mad dog. <laughs> okay. Okay. But it's going to be hard for me to not just laugh in this whole thing. But seriously, you know, you are someone who you're an embodiment of what the pod is about. You are making a huge impact in the industry that you're in. You have been on a roller coaster ride to get where you are, fought through adversity. You have been told no multiple times. You've kept coming back. You have an entrepreneurial spirit. You're a hustler. The list goes on and on. Really, like, I mean, you are the perfect guest for Marathon Minute. And that's why you're the perfect guest to round out season one. And I kind of just want to, I mean, it's weird because I know so much about you. I know, I mean, I don't want to say I know everything, but like we're best friends. So I know a lot about you, but I haven't been able to ask certain questions, you know, about kind of your career path, your mindset in certain moments, um, just a lot of stuff that maybe I didn't really have the opportunity to ask in the past. You too, dad, I don't know. Um, But I think this will be cool. And just for the listeners, um, it just shows, you know, you're someone who, and we'll talk about this, but like we grew up in a sports family. I talked about how I always wanted to play sports. You, you knew that you didn't want to be a professional athlete, but you have been in the sports world and been able to make, you know, arguably a bigger difference than an athlete would in the industry that you're in. So I think it'd be so cool to just talk about your journey, um, how you've gotten to where you are and where you're going because you are not slowing down anytime soon. So Madison, welcome to the show. What's, 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 what's going yeah. on? Happy Monday. I mean, I would say it's an honor to be here, but I think, you know, I wouldn't be your sister if I didn't say it's about damn time. Yeah, no, it's about damn time, but also like it's perfect timing. It's the end of season one. We're ending on a high note. You know, we got you in the building. So it's up. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's uh actually okay. I feel like I should know the answer to this question. 
maybe I haven't thought about it hard enough, but like, what did you, like, how did you answer the, what do I want to be when I grow up question? I feel like I was pretty much like locked in at pro soccer player, CEO. And like, I don't know if I'm just a bad listener or like, what were, what were you thinking? I mean, you were always like, you're always a boss, even at a young age, like watching our home videos, like you're, you're bossing people around, you're running, you're running shit, but like choreographing. Yeah. I don't know if that, like, what was your, like, how did you see yourself as a grown up when you were a kid? I'm not sure if I was a boss or if I was just bossy. I mean, there's definitely a fine line that I think to this day, I still try to try to define and battle and we can get into that. Um, I think it's a really interesting question, you know, in our family. First question. Great question. Wow. I said, interesting. I said, interesting. It's an interesting question because I think anyone who knows our family obviously knows that we're a sports family, you know, mom, a professional athlete, dad, two sport collegiate athlete, obviously you're a professional soccer player. I think that there's some inherent gene that sports were was the pathway i don't know that there was ever a a mindset other than sports i mean maybe to a fault i would say but for me it was never about playing i think it might have been that older sister mentality because as soon as i started playing something you would play and then be better than me i mean i think that's just like if you probably looked at at (laughs) siblings the younger sibling is like nine times out of ten a better if they choose the same thing because they start younger right like i started hebrew school in fourth grade you started in first grade you were better at everything in hebrew school you know it's just like (laughs) it just kind of like you have more exposure to it and i also think in the space that i grew up in so we're talking like 20 years ago i'm 10 years old what the sports industry was, was very limited in terms of common knowledge. So the only thing I knew was sports broadcasting. And so like, I wanted to be on ESPN. I wanted to be Aaron Andrews. I wanted to be, um, sideline. I wanted to be Michael Wilbon. I wanted to be having conversation around sport. And I think if you look at my childhood and my personality, that bossy mentality, that fearlessness, um, live with no regrets, say exactly what's on your mind, really led and leaned into this idea of sports media. And I kind of got very siloed on that track. Um, And then as I went to college, realized I was dyslexic and couldn't read off a teleprompter and didn't want to live in Iowa and work on Christmas. Like that balance was something that was really important to me, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into. And I also believe that I saw more of the industry, yeah, which led to sport business. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit there. I mean, you in college, you studied what? What were your majors? Journalism, journalism, and sports broadcasting. Was it? I was a journalism and public relations double major and a theater minor. Wow, you really packed. Which was very strategic. Like the theater minor was definitely because I wanted to be broadcasting and I felt that you know being able to think on your toes and being able to communicate properly being able to engage with someone in a theatrical way led into this idea I also um in my free time you know was the sports director for Radio DePaul I had two yeah radio shows yeah you were broadcasting games too play by play yeah so well and you attended DePaul 
that was strategic. I mean, the choice of schools was something you give a lot of thought to as opposed to, you know, just, okay, I want to go to the Midwest. You chose DePaul because of their program. Yeah, something that I think is inherently different about me is that I'm very strategic in the, I'm calculated in the way that I move. Um, and so it was like, I said I wanted to be in sports broadcasting. So I was going to find the building blocks to get me there. And I think I did yeah. that at a very young age. And I mean, maybe dad knows better because I often think sometimes it's hard to remember your childhood. I hopefully, as I get older, remember more. Sometimes I feel like the older you get, the more you remember things at a younger age, which seems wild, but I'm hoping that some memories will flash in front of my eyes one day. Forgetting but more and more I, every day. <laughs> I, know. I just think that like, I was a very interesting, interesting kid in the sense where I would find a path. Yeah. Always. Well, yeah. L- let me offer this because I do have uh, very distinct memories of your childhood and as it relates to sports. We, for our listeners, live fairly close to the Cal Berkeley campus in walking distance. And we would take the kids to uh, Cal football games at an early age. I'm talking about three, four, five years old. And you see a lot of little kids at games uh, and a great majority of them are just fooling around, doing anything but watching what's going on in the field. So they're watching the other people, they're playing with food. You would watch the games, Maddie, and you were kind of uh, attendant to what was going on in the field. And I also remember both you and Max wanting to rush down to the tunnel where the players come out and exit the field at the end of the game. That's where you get the gloves. Yeah, but, <laughs> but you were into that into that it wasn't just a play day at the um at memorial stadium it was watching football you read the sports page you like to watch espn top 10 plays yeah it's interesting you say that because i definitely you know i definitely was a huge college football fan a big cal fan and i think that question of what did you want to be when you grow up there was a time where i was like i want to be the first women's football coach like i liked that so much And I also think that there was some uniqueness to being the first and being a woman that I probably don't like sitting here now is the first time I've really thought about that as something that then predicted a future for me. Um, But that mentality, I think, was there when I was young about being first, that competitive spirit for me. You know, we talked, you've probably talked about on the show with your listeners, like you and dad, both are the most competitive people I know almost to a fault. just these like extreme. Yeah. My dad can't play board games. and My brother throws <laughs> tennis rackets at you. If you try to play. So okay. like, <laughs> we, I haven't played tennis in what over 10 years. I was like 13 last time I threw a racket. Give me a break uh, for our listeners. Break. <laughs> for our listeners. I am nice at tennis. I would say you've I done haven't. some great work on I've your done a lot of as early. A lot of growth. Yeah. Therapy. I'm, guilty, I'm totally guilty as charged. That was an accurate description. So, Wait, I mean, I, it's still in me too. That competitiveness in, in me was different because the reality was, is I'm a good athlete. I'm not the best athlete, but I do think that my competitive spirit came, comes out in wanting to break barriers, ceilings, boundaries, stigmas. And so when I was young to dad's point, I wanted to be the first women's football coach. I analyzed everything. I was an encyclopedia of sports. I loved when men, especially boys 
dads would challenge me in sports facts and I would just know everything. And now I don't, it's something that I definitely lost along the way. I think when you become ingrained in it, it's you, we've, you've talked about this about your soccer career, it becomes a job. I think Quincy, I really liked what Quincy said in one of the last pods about once you understand the business of what you're doing, you have to kind of separate the love out of it. Yeah. And I think, you know, a good testament to that was when the Raptors and Warriors were playing each other in the finals. And growing up, I was a huge Warriors fan. I mean, we all were, and they were in the finals against the Raptors. And because of my business, I was rooting for the Raptors. I mean, not only was I working for one of the players within Adidas, but they had become one of my best friends in Kyle Lowry. And I would have, we would have. I think it's this computer that internet cuts out just randomly so i don't i so, didn't i didn't hear you any of you want me to tell the story again yeah we'll circle it back we'll start from the jump street around competitive nature and i think the reality is is my competitive nature um i wanted to be the first i wanted to break barriers i wanted to break competitive ceilings right and um at some point you realize like sports is a business and you start to understand. And I was saying too earlier that what Quincy said about soccer um, a couple episodes back, as it relates to this understanding that, you know, in game, you sometimes have to separate the business side and the love for soccer. If you continue to play soccer only because you love it, the expectations of what your career is going to be will probably not meet like your childhood dreams, because you mm-hmm. learn that it's a business and decisions are made based on a business need, not a passion need. Yeah. And I said, there was a family tip about this, where when the Warriors were playing the Raptors in the finals, you know, the family is a huge Warriors fan. And, and because of the business that I was in and because of my personal relationships in the business, you know, I wasn't rooting for the Warriors and the family gave me a hard time. And um, I also used to like... <laughs> yell at you know when i say that i was a warriors fan like you and i used to watch warriors games together and i would yell at the tv can yeah. you hear me i feel like you can't yeah no 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 i can't no you were a diehard like i you showed me how to be a warriors fan like i was when i was in middle school i was a warriors fan but it wasn't until i mean i forget what year it was maybe maybe a few it's years okay, you're a bandwagon Bro. No, we believe you. You came on around. We believe, but so did everyone else. Not in a bandwagon way. I think that that just coincided with your coming to age. Like yeah, you I'm were fucking like nine. You years. were in middle school. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just saying. I just, that's more of the timeline. I feel like this got sidetracked into a Warriors conversation when I was trying to under trying to articulate that at some point along the way, I used to be a sports encyclopedia. I used to like be diehard. My my identity was related to this sports culture. And, and you had to separate your love for sports and sports culture with your career in the industry. Yep. So, you know, people think that what you major in is what your career, career path is supposed to be, which if you look at both of us, we're kind of the furthest thing from that. And yeah, I think now you start to see that your major really does not dictate your career path if you choose it not to. So I'm wondering kind of, you were working at Adidas retail graduation comes and you made the decision to move out to Portland without Adidas, without a job at Adidas, but you just said, screw it. I want to work at the headquarters. So I'm going to move to the headquarters. What was your mindset during that time? What were, what were you thinking? It's definitely a leap of faith. 
Um, what were you hoping to accomplish in that, you know, first few months of moving out first year? Um, what were you thinking? Yeah, I think that there's some storytelling to give context to that. Um, got a job at Adidas. I'm working at Adidas. I've also had, you know, I had other jobs in college too. So like continued the media path. I was working at WGCI, 106.5 WGCI. Great. I was working with your girlfriend from six to 10. So like working in radio, I was still in that media space, but then in the music side, which was, I mean, one of the coolest opportunities, um, you know, got to meet Chicago hip hop artists coming in, like learning how to cut to a commercial break, like bring in callers, all of those things. Um, so that was like very unique, but still like didn't want to do that. Like that, it wasn't like I was going to pivot out of sports into sound music. Mm-hmm. I also worked for the Alderman um, in politics and Chicago politics working um, for the 42nd ward, which was the, the district that ran Michigan Avenue. And that was really cool because we would get, we'd have to, um, approve permits for all marketing things on Michigan Avenue. So I remember it was a really big deal. It was Victoria's secret. And we needed to approve these wings, you know, the Victoria's secret wings that they placed all throughout the city. And within our ward, we had to, you know, work with the city and, people would call and they would tell us that Michigan Avenue was going to trash and it was supposed to be the miracle mile and now state streets, a better, you know, just like learning more about Chicago and politics and, you know, you know, we're, we were raised on this idea that politics mattered. And so, you know, I tried that didn't work out and kind of what did stick to my story was this job at Adidas. And I remember I took that job really seriously, probably too seriously for a retail employee. Um, and I, but I remember the exact moment when I knew what my dream job was and what I wanted to be when I grew up. And that was when the Mexico national team came for a store appearance. I think they were probably playing us at soldier field. And that was a common thing. And they came in for a signing and there was someone that was managing the team, like talking to us about, okay, it came in early. The team, where is it going to be set up? Like all of this stuff. I didn't know what he did, but the way that he was interacting in that liaison between these players that were coming in and the store, um, I was like, I want to do that. And because I was in Chicago at a time when like Derek Rose MVP, one MVP, I was a huge Derek Rose fan. I mean, I thought he was super cute. I had his poster in my college dorm. I was like, I, whatever that is, whatever this guy is doing, I want to do that with Derek Rose. And I just remember that. And I wrote my college thesis about it. Every time from that moment on, anyone from corporate came in, I was really annoying. And I would um, say, oh, my uncle lives in Oregon. Uh, have you been to, to Sal's? Oh, that's my uncle's restaurant. Can I have your card? Like, I, I'm going to move out there, you know? And I remember telling Derek's family, I'm like, I'm going to move to Portland and I'm going to work with Derek. <laughs> They're like, okay, yeah, we believe in you. Like, we'll email someone. We'll email someone on your behalf. No, and dad found an HR contact. Well, where did, he, when did, where did you get the opportunity to talk to Derek's family? And they were just they like, would come not in. like, they would just come this in crazy all the time. girl talking to us. They were just coming to the store. They the would time. just come in all the time at the <clears throat> store to like shop, you know, because yeah. they, would, they would have credit. And I, I think another thing about me that's unique is that I, I really do have a ability to get along with people of all walks of life. I think I'm the yeah. definition of don't judge your book by your cover. I mean, I've been through things that people that look like me shouldn't go through both by choice and by accident. Um, 
And I think that that was a, a unique thing for me from a really young age. But that was kind of the story of my life. Like I always wanted to be around different people and have these connections to people. And so that happened. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you just have a unique and unbelievable ability to connect with people and to break down the wall of just like communication and getting to know someone, which I think, I mean, I think the world could use a lot more of, but is also, it's also something that, yes, you can practice it. You can become better at it, but it's also just innate. Like you have obviously gotten better with this skill over time, but like you said, from the jump, you have been able to just connect with people and in your industry, that's something that you don't, you don't go to school and learn how to connect with people who don't look like you, you know, that's just, that's not something you learn. That's just something that you are able to do or not able to do. And you have that gift. Um, so yeah, you connected with D Rose's family, told him you were moving. Yeah. And just, I was just connecting with anyone, anyone possible. Right. I mean, nothing that ended up sticking later on in life. Um, but so I'm just like networking and I don't even know what networking is at the time, you know? Um, but I'm networking and I'm telling my story. And like you said, it was kind of like, all right, school is about to be over. And all I know is I want to be the connection between Derek Rose and Adidas. Like, that's all I know. I don't care how I'm going to get there and what I'm going to do, but like, that's what I'm going to do. And I know that Adidas headquarters is in Portland. I know enough about Adidas now because I've worked there for, you know, a year and a half. And like, for those listeners who want to get into the industry, retail is so important. Um, yeah, it really is the stepping stone if into like that fashion world or that um, brand world. I worked retail Again. for two months, and I still have a lot of valuable experience from that and just lessons. How to, I mean, something as simple as walking up to a stranger and being like, "Hey, how's it going? Can I help you find something?" Like that's yeah, you know, something like that. Consumer trends, all these kind of how to fold a T-shirt. You know, like there's a lot of things that you learn in that environment that translate, especially with a brand that you want to work with on a corporate side, seeing the retail side gives you a whole different perspective. Yeah. You're the, you're the closest thing to the consumer and you, again, like sidetracking a little bit, what I tell anyone who is looking to be successful in any industry, like what I tell young people per se is learn how to tell your story and learn how to tell a story. And I think if you want to be successful in any industry, you need to be able to sell yourself and you need to be able to sell a story of a product, of an idea, mm-hmm. um, of, of numbers. You know, if you're in finance, the best finance people are the ones that can take numbers and make it not about numbers at all, but tell you the story of what those numbers mean as it relates to the business you're trying to achieve. So I think retail taught me how to tell a story and um, I moved to Portland and I was like, worst comes to worst, I'll work retail at Adidas. Well, yeah. worse really was worse because I didn't get a job at retail in retail at Adidas. They, I went Did to an interview. Did you apply 100%. You didn't get it? I didn't get it. Um, again, I came in a little hot, probably a little <laughs> cocky. You're like, hey, <laughs> I want to be the middleman between D-Rose and Adidas. No, I definitely, I didn't. I mean, I had a meeting, uh, you know, uh, Jason Grisby, who went to Bishop O'Dowd, um, set me up with HR, probably came in a little bit hot to that. And uh, I walked out and I was like, can I get your contact information? They're like, we'll contact you. 
didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but that was just for retail? No, that was like in the corporate HR side. Okay. And then I also had a meeting with the retail side. I found out on the back end that there was a manager who had some like mental health issues and didn't put in the best recommendation for me. And I probably wasn't the best example of myself because I didn't know that. Like, I just assumed, you know, like I was an exemplary employee and I just graduated college in three years, like with honors. Why would I not get a retail job? You know, like, but I didn't like they, I literally didn't. Um, And so I started working at Macy's and I, I started working at Macy's and I started coaching soccer. I mean, I got on a plane without a job, um, moved to Portland because it was closer to home and family was there. And again, like I, I mean, I think it's interesting. You and I have similar stories. I mean, we came to Portland to chase a dream. Yeah. And so my, I think both of our dreams got a little deferred. Like you had to play for in a PDL team and I had to work at Macy's. Yeah. And I think the the lesson there was like I worked at Macy's and then I started coaching soccer because I had coached soccer previously. And again, my experience in connecting with people, like I missed that interaction with people outside of, you know, in the sports world. Like, cool, I'm working at Macy's now. I'm selling women's clothes. <laughs> I'm not selling cleats and basketball shoes and talking about, you know, when you work at Adidas and retail, you're talking about sports all the time. Yeah. And did you see the game last night? When you're at Macy's and freaking women's dresses and, and for the listener, I'm not the most feminine girly girl. I wasn't raised that way. And so, um, you know, I'm trying to you know, sell, like be a fashionista or, the, yeah. or fashion hunter, or whatever they call it at Macy's. So I started coaching soccer and I mean, we all know the story. You guys know the story. I got fired from for, <laughs> for the listener. Maddie gave her family discount code to a little too much family, and she got the boot from Macy's. Um, but I mean, it all worked out. Everything happened. Yeah, reason. best thing that ever happened to me. Best thing that ever happened to me. It was a great reminder, and and I think this is the important lesson in the story: is that sometimes you need to be you you settle so like at macy's i was settling i mean i got fired right as i was trying to move up the macy's ladder like i was like i work at macy's now i'm going to try to get into women's shoes and be a manager and work in commission you know like yeah you're trying to it was like i had never had a dream to work at adidas like that completely disappeared because you get comfortable in whatever you're doing you know and you just kind of shift around the space that exists so i got fired. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I leaned into my relationships. And when I was coaching soccer, there was a parent of, um, we had twins on the team and, you know, and it was really cool that that soccer experience, I think was really unique. It was the freshman team. So that's a really impressionable period. And it's there, you know, we started the season before they even entered school. So being around, you know, 14 year old girls in their first impression of high school where like life is hard. And at the time I was only 21, you know, I'm not that much older, but like being a role model and understanding the impact, you know, I think that that was something that stuck with me. And so I go and I, you know, come back home, (laughs) get fired from Macy's over holiday break. And during that same time, I like start reaching out to people who could maybe get me a job at Adidas. And, um, you know, I, I had an informational with Mark Halley. Shout out Mark Halley. I haven't said that name out loud for a while. And uh, I told him my story. And I was just like, went to college, did this. Like, 
I want to be the person between Derek Rose and Adidas. I played soccer, you know, and I had made a strong impact on his daughter. So he was thankful for that. And he's yeah. like, cool. Like I'll pass your resume along to HR, but I also know someone who is hiring um, at this agency. Would you like me to pass along your information? I didn't have a job. So who am I to say no? Is this how you ended up at Tillamook? Yep. Okay. Well, so, before before you get into that, I just think kind of the point you said about like leveraging your relationships, I think just for a listener, just like to talk about, it's like that is one of the most underrated things that you can do as anyone looking to make make it anywhere in any industry, any profession. Like I don't I wish I knew that at a younger age. I feel like when I was younger, I thought reaching out to people and asking for either information or a meeting, or can you put me in touch with this person? I thought that was kind of like needy or like you will get to where you need to go through hard work, dedication. But like now I realize like if you know someone or know someone who knows someone and that's not meaning like, Oh, I have a connection or an in, it's just like, you have friends, you have strangers, people you run into randomly. Like just be open about what you want to do and where you want to go. And people tend to like to help people on their, you know, fulfill their journeys. I mean, the, the book, the alchemist is one of my favorite books, but it's all about like, I mean, I know some people might, you know, shake their head at it, but like everyone is on their own personal legend, their own personal journey to reach their goals. If you see the first sign that says no and turn back and just walk back, you're never going to get where you want to go. But like, if you continue to put positive things into the universe and continue to ask questions, continue to push this idea of where you want to go, like people will help you, you know? And if you continue to put that work in, you will eventually get to where you need to go sooner or later. But the second you say, oh, it's not going to happen and turn back, of course it's not going to happen. But like the more you ask, the more you open a new door, push the envelope, like people will tend to, to help you out on your, on your journey. So, you know, for anyone out there that's trying to do what they want to do and are struggling, just look around and ask the people around you, ask your friends, ask your family, ask someone, go knock on a door. Like if you want to work at Adidas, knock on the door at Adidas and say, I want to talk to someone, you know, like go directly to the source. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, let me yeah, just, I just think being let me intentional just chime in with that real is quick, Matt, Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. On the same point, there's asking and there's also just letting people know about your aspirations and your goals and what you really want to do. Uh, we all have aspirations. A lot of them just of us just keep it to ourselves. It's a secret or, yeah. you know, we don't we don't publicize what we want to do with our lives or what jobs we want or what we want to end up doing, as opposed to what you did you had a very clear idea as to kind of what you wanted to do in a broad sense. And you let people know that you didn't keep it a secret. It wasn't like you were asking for a job, but you were letting people know, Hey, here's what I want to do. And like you said, Max, and what you said, Maddie, a lot of people will jump on that and say, okay, I think I know someone who knows someone, or you should talk to this person. If you let people know there's a chance that might happen. If you keep it a secret, it will never happen. Yeah. Yeah. I just think you have to be really intentional because the reality is, it's like a lot of people want the same thing. mm. You know, I mean, like working in sports, for example, like, I mean, I have a really cool job. A lot of people want my job. 
I get messages on LinkedIn, you know, all the time. You have to find a way to break through the noise because it's also a lot of responsibility to like mentor and give all those things. And I try my best, you know, because someone did it for me. But I think the the way you break in is, no, to me, is very much telling your story. You know, being the champion of your own existence. <laughs> like, you know why you're the most valuable person and not, there's this balance of like not selling yourself, but also like this confidence around you're on the path you're supposed to be on, lean into that path. You know, and, and I really leaned in, I think I really leaned into that path. I said yes to something that I went from wanting to work with Derek Rose to going in women's fashion to getting fired to working in a cheese for a cheese company, you know, and, and leaning into that and taking a huge risk where I was on the road for three months. I was in a relationship at, at the time, you know, and I said, I said, bye, you know, I said, I, I'm going to go because this is what's going to take me to, to the, I also had a job at the Timbers for like a week, and uh, you know, before getting that job with I remember, Tillamont. I remember, I remember that. Okay. So you and I had to make a decision. Yeah. So you worked at Tillamook for a bit. How did you eventually transition into designing shoes for Adidas? Yeah, I got a call, uh, you know, like, Mark, the, that guy at Adidas, Mark Howley, was very true to his word. He said he would pass my information along to HR and, you know, also his friend that was hiring. And HR reached out, you know, about four, three months later to let me know that internships were available. And, um, and you were you know, traveling said, around hey, the West uh, being a brand yeah, ambassador. I, I was at, yeah, I was, I, was, I was in LA, I think, at the time. And um, I got the phone call like, hey, internships are available. We have your resume. You know, would you be interested in applying? Uh, these are kind of the ones we see fit for you. And there was a soccer one, um, which actually would have reported to Mark. And there was a basketball one, basketball footwear one. And I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to come. You know, they didn't know I was, wasn't in Portland, but they scheduled a day, took the time off and I flew. And I, on the same day, applied for both jobs, had interviews for both jobs. The soccer one was fine. You know, it was regular. Um, I got, I got it, you know, and I mean, I ended up getting that job, but also um, the basketball one was really unique. Um, I, I sat in there and, you know, Gabe Heller changed my life. I saw him a couple of days ago. He probably won't listen to this, but I always say when I, when I grow up, I want to be Don't Gabe Heller that. like that. So no, I know I just, I, you know, um, and he was interviewing me and we were, we were in the interview with one other person and um, about halfway through the interview, like it's like you look really familiar he's like you don't remember me I was like no and he's like oh yeah you used to talk to me in the Chicago store all the time oh. and I like sat across to them I sat across from him and I think this is just a testament to my personality I was like oh so you know I've waited a year for this job yeah you like kept, you know that I've wanted this job for a year like I kept, said that I'm, you kept it real um and he's like yeah and that just shifted the whole interview instead of it now being an interview you, they were asking like more pointed business questions like what would you do if this like what did you think when we released this so that went on for a while um and I remember walking out the interview and, and like I have a very vivid memory of this and I I called mom and this is before uber existed so I had to like call a taxi company first to pick me up to take me to the airport to go back to LA for my the job that I was currently in and I called mom and I said, I got the job. She's like, whoa, that's so cool. They like offered you to you on the spot. I said, no. I was like, no, <laughs> but I know I got the job. She's like, okay. 
she's like okay maddie like you know calm down you know like calm down da, 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 da. like you know you don't know like let's manage your expectations i was like no mom like i know and like three days later i called hr called me they're like you got both jobs what do you want soccer or basketball i was like I've literally waited a year for this basketball job. This is like, I'm not working with Derek Rose, but I get to work in basketball on basketball shoes. And I couldn't start soon enough. Yeah. So, and that was sort of a temporary hire, right? It, it was an internship. It was an internship. So it was a three month internship within six weeks. They offered me a one-year extension within three months. They offered me a full-time job. Jeez, flex. I don't play games. <laughs> Jeez, this and, and, and this job is where they were designing the new Adidas basketball shoes for the next year or two, whatever. Um, right? This is a design part of the business. Product marketing. It was yeah. product marketing. Okay. Well, I, I want to spend a, a decent amount of time talking about like the last few years. So let's fast forward a little bit. How did, I mean, your goal was to get into sports marketing. That's that is the bridge between an athlete and a brand. And here yeah, you are. I learned that. <laughs> yeah, I I know. Well, I'm just, you know, saying that for everyone else out there. Um, and so you're at the brand that you wanted to work with, but here you are picking out materials on the Damian Lillard one, something like that, which is dope, cool, but you're trying to manage relationships. Can we tell one story first? Because I actually think it was, you know, you look back, you know, I recently left Adidas. I was there for 10 years. And you kind of, when you do something like that, you reflect on like the big moments. Right. Yeah. And I was in product marketing, had a great team. It was an amazing time, but I I do have one memory that stands out. And do you have a, can you recall what that was? If I were to guess, it would be you helping design the collab between Oaklandish and Adidas for the Damian Lillard one. Am I yeah, correct? And, and and you and I went and did that together. Yeah, we went. I to mean, the, I brought you. I brought you to work. Yeah. Oh, for our for our viewer viewers soon to be on YouTube, we have the shoe for you right here. I'm holding it up. It is the Oaklandish Damian Lillard one collaboration fire. All gas, no brakes, says it on the bottom of the shoe. Very dope. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I just think why that was so impactful. I mean, obviously, you know, we're kids from Oakland. Dame's from Oakland. We grew up in the same circles. Um, So it made it special because of that, right? You know, working with an athlete in the hometown kind of the hometown boutique shop in Oaklandish before you know, Oaklandish goes on to be this company that now like makes the roots jerseys, you know? So this is, this is 2014, I think, um, 2014. And, uh, you know, at the time, I think you were at Santa Clara and I had the opportunity, you know, I had to, had to do a meeting with Oaklandish in Oakland and Jack London at their offices. And I asked you to come with me. And I think for me, it's always been about bringing people along and, specifically family and I think what has been great about my career dad and I were courtside at the WMA finals last night I mean I got to bring my dad to the game is that when you talk about giving back and mentorship I think a lot of what I've been able to do is like with family and so to have that experience with you 
I think we both were learning Mm -hmm. is something like you can't, you can't write the story better than that. Yeah. You can't say like, I'm going to work at Adidas. I'm going to work with Damian Lillard. Who's from Oakland. We grew up together. And then on my first thing that I'm in charge of, it's going to be a collaboration with my hometown. And then my brother is going to come like, that just feels fairy tale as, and I think that that continued right in the working with Derek Rose was fair, like that, but shit's not real. And it was for me. And I think it was because that determination and, and that kind of all gas, no breaks, literally. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have to, you kind of have to have that mentality to, to get to that spot. But did in the moment, did you kind of have that foresight to be like, well, this is crazy. Or are you just like, Oh, this is a cool project. Like, um, just out here texting. It's really Facebook Marketplace. I'm moving, so someone's supposed oh, to come pick something trash. up. At <laughs> I'm, that is so trash. Oh my god. We started, you know, a solid forty minutes late, so gotta just looking at the time. Okay. Um, no, I think for me, and I say this a ton is a. Uh, you're not really taught to appreciate dreams or know what to do with them once you've achieved them in real time for me, because I, there's people who think that they're not supposed to be there. I've always believed I was going to get to exactly where I wanted to go. I never have known how, but achieving my dreams isn't something that is unexpected. So like, I think that that's a privilege I have and also like a very unique mentality. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, So I think, I mean, I think that's a great anecdote from your time in the footwear department. Um, But how did you eventually transition into this role that you were kind of born for, you know, bridging the gap, having these relationships um, between a corporate brand and athletes who don't typically um, relate well to corporate communication, all that kind of stuff. How did you end up in this position? And I mean, that was your, that was your role more or less for the last, what, seven years, six years. Yeah. Seven, seven years within the space, six years within the, the W's, the women's business. Um, Basically, after working in the footwear industry for about a year and a half, it was very clear that the business regimen and like the business, uh, everything about business was not something that I wanted to to chew my teeth, dig my teeth into. Like I did not want to be penny pinching. You know, the reality is when you're making a shoe, every cent counts, literally every cent counts. And so you're like liter- making decisions based upon you know, what lace is going to cost 18 cents versus 20 cents. And then what that means in the market at X amount of pair, you know, just like business jargon that I am not a business person. I had to go to summer school for math and in order to get into a doubt, you know, like you maybe were not a business person, but looking at what you're doing now, business, I, I think man. it's hard for you to say you're not a business. Person. No, but as now you are that- I, before. Yeah. You're not like a, number cruncher yeah i wasn't like i couldn't i didn't i wasn't i'm a, so like and i was a real i'm a relationship person you yeah. know i'm i'm a storyteller i'm a marketer but i don't think like you know in that old other role there was a lot more nitty-gritty business needs and it was like yo i'm done with this like i've, I've gotten to the point where i needed to go and i'm done um and there you know i had 
fortunately had a another mentor at Adidas named Chris Rivers, and he was the head of sports marketing and just so happened to also have gone to Bishop O'Dowd. And so when I was kind of looking at Adidas, trying to figure out, you know, what was next, I would talk to Chris, you know, we call him Riv. And when there was team like on the floor below us um, in early 2015, you know, he made it happen and kind of recruited me down there knowing that to dad's point, um, I expressed what I wanted and I wanted to move into the relationship side of the business. And luckily, you know, I had a mentor who was running that department, Chris Rivers, who went to Bishop O'Dowd. And when a reorg happened, he brought me onto his team. And um, I think at the time it was a little bit of everything. I think they needed my skill set within sports marketing. You know, it is heavy relationships, but you need to understand the business and they didn't have anyone. Um, not that they didn't have anyone to understand the business, but sports marketers never really leave sports marketing. So the whole team had only ever been in sports marketing. And so I also think that, you know, there's something about having a woman on in any space, women run the world and teams are better when there are women on it. And so that opportunity to bring a female onto the team, they took advantage of it. And I started in 2015 in the kind of all hands on deck within sports marketing, a little bit in the high school grassroots world. So um, doing everything from uniform uniform buys to um, strategically building out how we were going to bridge the gap between the business and the athlete. Um, and that I was really eager because the reality was, was like, now I'm close. Like now Derek Rose is close. <laughs> yeah. This idea that I can work with Derek Rose is now really close. Um, you know, the first athlete I actually kind of, <sighs> I would just try to get my way into footwear meetings. Cause it was like, Hey guys, if you're meeting with an athlete around footwear, like I used to work in footwear. So I can kind of like help you guys call out footwear when they're like maybe lying or like when they're kind of trying to shift the narrative more towards the business and, you know, we're prioritizing the athlete. And I remember the first time they let me to a meeting it was at the nines hotel in Portland. And I remember I got like five minutes with Derek and we just kind of like talked in the sense where like it was in passing and we just connected right away because, you know, I went to school in Chicago. Like I, you know, literally like my boyfriend at the time was very, had the very similar like mannerisms and speech patterns. And like right away, it was like family. I was like, I know how to talk to you. Like, you're not Derek Rose. Like you're Ari, you know what I mean? Like I just, it just felt comfortable with him and his um, best friend, Randall, who's, you know, to this day, family to me. Um, and, but it was only like a little five minute snippet. It was like this little piece and, you know, this nugget I had to hold on to. And like, I got told I was too eager, like, you're not ready. You know, you're only 23 and like, you're, there's no women in these spaces and women don't go in the locker room and women don't. And I would just inch my way in. And I remember by 2016, I had inched my way in enough. I had kind of established myself as you know a very strong worker and a very good employee and that I wasn't going to cross any of these gender barriers that were fake and unreal and super sexist, um, but fully existed. You know, I mean, it was like, we're scared. I had times when if I walked out in front of the play, like these high school players, they were taking Snapchats of my ass and I caught them, you know, like, and that, then my job was threatened because it was like, oh, we can't have a woman in the gym. It's like, what? 
Like I, I just came from the gym working out and like, I'm getting in trouble because like these guys are sexualizing me like at the hotel while we're going to breakfast. Like, so I'd have to go through that all the time, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, like they let it happen. And by 2016, I got to sit courtside at United center on a trip to, um, to manage Derek Rose. And, um, I got to go to LA, you know, for a road trip and go to Staples center and go out to dinner and meet the family and, and kind of be ingrained in that space. And for me, that was when the moment I knew I had arrived and that I was going to make an impact on this industry because, you know, in a very short time, I went from sitting at the last row in the last row of the United center. And if you've ever been to the United center, it's like Mount Everest. It's not like Oracle, it's, it's not like any arena. It's large. And the last row, I mean, I was at the last row in LeBron, at Le, it was LeBron's first game at the United Center when he was on Miami Heat. And I was in the last row because it was really important to me <laughs> to see LeBron. You know, that was LeBron, yeah, Derrick Rose, rivalry. I was in college. Big moment. Go to that game when I'm in college. And then within five years, I'm courtside. You know, you just look up. Yeah, that, that's a pretty, pretty awesome progression. I do want to get into. I mean, I feel like there's like countless stories and experiences that you had in this role. Um, some of the perks are crazy, but just kind of, I mean, you talked about it a little bit, but just some of like the, the obstacles and barriers of being a woman, a woman in a highly masculine sexist corporate culture. Um, like how difficult was that? How were you able to stay motivated um, when you see other people get promotions over you, when you are, are overlooked in certain rooms, like how are you able to power through that until you kind of, I mean, I, I do want to talk about your involvement in the women's game too, but like until that point, how did you kind of keep a level head through that? I mean, I thought I, no one understands, right? Because it's kind of like, you know, you're like trying to battle, you're trying to figure out the reasons. You're like, is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm young? You know, they used to like love to tell me I was young. You know, like you've only done this job for two years. I'm like, yeah, but I've been at Adidas for four. Like I graduated college a year early. Like I, you can't tell me that, I, you know, like there's no, nothing was fact-based. They love to, it was always really hard too, because, you know, you're the only woman in the space and they would try to do team bonding and it'd be like, let's go to the gym. <laughs> like, let's go play like two on two. And it's like, I don't want to work out with you. Like, this is not how I want to like be a part of the team. Like no, yeah. I didn't, I haven't played basketball, you know? So you'd have to fortunate for me. Like I do have a really strong presence and I'll tell you how I feel. And so like, I would tell my boss, like, I'm not going to the gym with you. Like, that's not something I'm going to do. Like I'm not going at lunch and we're not, I'm not going to like freaking drink protein powder and like push weights, you know, like I, that's just not, I'm not compromising who I am, but I do really want to bond. And he was like, how do we go to yoga once a week? Like, and we would go to core power once a week. You know, you, I was able to just be like, this is a boundary I'm not going to cross. Hmm. Um, I, I changed myself a hundred percent, um, to become unthreatening, whether that was like wearing baggier clothes and like wearing my hair in a ponytail or, um, talking about things that were uncomfortable, like, yeah, that girl has a big ass, you know, to try to like fit in. I mean, it's Whoa. just the reality of the situation. Like, it's just what happens. You know, you just, 
see a lot and you have to understand where like your boundary lies Um, and like what you're willing. And I had a really low tolerance for bullshit as it related to me being a woman, because like, like I grew up around guys. I mean, like I was a tomboy. In terms of being a woman, do you think you had more challenges internally at Adidas, getting them to accept and take you seriously or more challenges with the other end, the athletes and the athletes agents that you were dealing with. There are a couple of things that are really hard as it relates to sports, corporate America and gender. And I faced two of them. I was a woman working in a man's world and I was a woman working in a women's world, trying to tell corporate how to deal with women. So the first part, and then I think we can transition Max into my time working within the women's space. I think the reality is, is sports has turned into a boys club and everyone wants to make it a more inclusive place for women. I think that the people I worked with are some of my best friends and my biggest supporters. It wasn't taught, you know, it's this generation as because women weren't in the workforce at that time. So there was no teaching on how to do any of that. And then I come in and eager and bossy and demanding and wanting change, you know, and I was amazing experiences, both that were given to me and that I created within that space. And I was lucky enough that had to have two players in Derrick Rose and Kyle Lowry who fought in addition to the internal advocates I had. You were lucky in that regard. I think it's really windy today. I think it's affecting the internet. It's the wind. Yeah, it's an unusual day out. In fact, there are <laughs> fire warnings because of the wind. Uh. Yeah, it's just really frustrating. Um, well, you, let me ask a question. You, you mentioned two athletes, Derek Rose and Dame Lillard, who you thought I said Kyle Lowry. Oh, excuse me. Um, yeah. Kyle and um, and uh, Derek. Derek, who are both really receptive to you as a woman working in the, in a man's space. What what was it about them? Did you figure that out? Why they were so accepting of you? Uh, I mean, I don't want to like put any stereotypes in. I just think that they are exceptional human beings that understood the connection between me and them and understood my mission and the missions aligned. Um, whether it was just my personality, whether it was timing, whether it was their personality, I think at the end of the day, I had a skill set that was needed in both of their businesses and they appreciated that and didn't look at me as a woman, but as someone who was going to do the work the best because the reality was, is I was good. I wasn't necessarily better than anyone else because I think that the team at Adidas was really good. I I want to make that very clear, but you know, I I had grit and, and drive. Yeah. I feel like we shouldn't be asking like, Oh, what made them so great for treating you how you should be treated just because you're a woman. It's like, that should be the standard. Like we shouldn't even have to talk about, that should be normal, you know, but you are right. Those are exceptional people. And I have, you know, I've had the pleasure of meeting them both and they're great people. They're human beings. And as much as we love to put them on pedestals, 
they're just like you and I, and they just happen to have their, their head on straight and be really good people and treat you and us the way, you know, humans deserve to be treated regardless of race, gender, creed, all of that. So um, that's incredible. And I, I think those relationships that you've made with them will, will last a very long time. And just because you're no longer with Adidas doesn't mean that that changes anything, but if anything, it could make it stronger and lead to new endeavors as we're seeing right now. Um, but I do want to talk about how, you know, you went from working with a lot of these high profile male athletes to then now, well, previously the last few years, but also now you are a champion for women's sports. You are a leader within women's sports. You're an advocate and um, really changing the whole industry. Um, what kind of led to you getting more focused in the women's side of things? And, and how has that changed kind of your perspective on the industry itself? Yeah, it's not something that I ever um, actively sought to do. Um, I never went until I started working in the women's sports field. I used to tell mom that WNBA was stupid and why would she tell me to watch it? Um, because I loved the NBA. Um, and I had a really, really hard time when I got told that I was no longer going to work in the NBA space because I had a dream and it wasn't fully achieved. Like, yeah, I got to go to a date, a Derek Rose game and sit courtside and build this relationship with him, but the business and the end goal wasn't achieved, but they came to me in early 2016 and said, we think that women's is up next. Um, and you've also expressed that you want growth. And so we're going to move you over. And I was pissed. Um, I was like, I'm not a girl's girl. I'm not good with women. Like, you know, I'm a tomboy. Like what do yeah. I've never even been to a game. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> I said to my boss, I said, so I have a vagina, so I have to work with the players that have a vagina. Does that mean the white sports marketer only is working with our white players? Like, what are we doing? Like, what's the, yeah. and he was like, Madison, calm down. You know, like, you know, I'm yelling. This is again, bossy attitude. Like I don't necessarily recommend this way of behavior within corporate America, but it was just a reaction. Like I couldn't understand. And what we came to agreement on was, no, I have the most business experience. I worked at Tillamook. <laughs> you know, I, I know marketing. I then worked in product. Like I understand what it create, what it takes to create a, a business. And this is an opportunity. And if anyone's going to take advantage of, of an opportunity, it's you. So like, it's yours and run with it. And like, you have our full support and yeah. let's like do what you need to do. Yeah. Cause they were trying to so grow. I had it. to learn. They saw it as an opportunity I, and something to grow and you had experience in growing things and a much wider kind of broader. Yeah. And I was, experience. I was a hustler. I was a chaser. I wanted more. Like I, it, for me, it wasn't about, you know, going the relationship side of sports marketing was, is crazy, you know, crazy stories, really fun games, dinners, entertainment. But I also really wanted to see business growth. Like I wanted, you know, why I wanted to work with Derek Rose was because I wanted to associate his popularity to sell through of his footwear. You know, I wanted to bridge that, that gap in my mind between relationships and creativity and business. You know, that's, I think that 
that intersection between creativity, business, and relationships that you and I both are so passionate about is where I excel. And yeah. so um, that's what, what women's basketball became to me, what came, became for me as an opportunity to excel. But it was so, it's so much more. It's become my passion. It's become my, I don't want to say my duty, but like it's become who I am, but also it's made me who I am. And I have taken it and run with it. And it's made me into like a feminist and, and really strong and yeah. also really a lot more poise and calm and self-centered and self-respected. Both people respect me and I respect myself more. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for those who don't know, um, Maddie kind of took over, Madison took over the women's basketball side of sports marketing which at the time was doing all right, not great. And I mean, we only had Candace Parker. When I started, we had Candace Parker. Yeah, who's at a legend. That, that but year, that was... We signed, I mean, it was one person. We signed yeah. three more people in that draft class, that 2016 draft class. Um, the second pick, the third pick, and like the eighth pick. Um, I had no. Yeah, you, you, turned the, you turned the Adidas women's basketball sports marketing team from a pretty small group to the most respected players in the league the most marketable players in the league um you pretty much turned it all around and made the adidas women's basketball um team or group however you want to call it one of the best if not the best in all of sports so how did you kind of how did you approach that and how did how did that happen um I think it's a mixture between luck and skill. I think anything is a mixture between, you know, the right, I was the right person at the right time. Um, and I was eager. I think the reality was, was yes, the women's business was about to hit a turn and society and everything was about to, to go up. Um, but in order for it to do so, it needed fresh faces. The only other competition at the time was someone at Nike who had the similar role and she's 20 years older than me. And so she had been doing it a really long time and been doing it great. But I think when you do anything for so long, it's really hard to, to influence change because and that was one of the reasons why I eventually left Adidas. It's like, I can't do anymore, you know, um, in order for this to, to keep going up, like I need to see myself, you know, I need to exit stage left. And um, I just, for me, where it became really a passion point was this opportunity to, to really create meaningful change. And very quickly, once I started to learn the industry, you know, when I started and we only had four players, I mean, our players were going overseas to war-torn countries to try to make a living. And they would hear like bombs outside of their doors, you know, and they would come back and say that I changed their life because now they're making enough money where maybe they don't have to go full-time overseas or, you know, they could see themselves in a campaign and for the first time feel like a professional athlete because they weren't being treated like a professional athlete. Like, and for me coming from the men's side, it was just about, I mean, it wasn't about impact at first. It was just like leveling the playing field. It's like, I know we fly this athlete on a private plane. So we can fly this woman first class. I mean, it's not like, or I know, like, I just knew too much. 
And I yeah. was like, I'm not going to accept anything less because that's how I was raised. You know, like I was raised as a strong, independent woman. And so what are we doing? You know, it wasn't necessarily like do, it, do the right thing. It was just like, this is an obvious choice. What I didn't know at the time was like, what was obvious to me was so hard on the business. And there's this chicken and the egg conversation around women's sports in general, because it's not marketed at the same level. It's not exposed to the same level. And so therefore it doesn't get the same investment. And because it doesn't get the same investment, it's seen as less than, and then the product is less, you know, and, and there's this battle. It's a cycle. Well, yeah. And I mean, you're starting to see a little bit of the shift now, like when you saw with the NCAA tournament and like the, the resources for that. And it's something like, I actually noticed it. Um, I think it was yesterday watching an international friendly or a world cup qualifier where I think it was like England versus Andorra or something like that. And England has, you know, their roster is full of some of the biggest, most recognizable faces in all of world football. And this was a game at Andorra in a stadium that probably held like 3000 people. The way they were filming it was at like some low angle, and I was watching it and I was like, on first glance, this looks like a USL game, you know, or something similar like that. And it's like, it's because like so much of how something appears to the public is completely related to how much is invested in it. And then that is a cycle, like how much you care about it, how much you want to consume it, how much you want to invest in it goes back to how much they invest in it. These companies invest in it. I mean, I'll bring this full full circle for you, Max. Like it goes back to storytelling. What's the story that the, everyone in life has a story to tell and your story is money. So like ESPN has a story to tell and sometimes they're not willing to tell the story at the most elite level, right? So like the story of that game, what they're telling you as a, they're telling you as a viewer, like this isn't worth watching because we're not going to put the investment into it that it deserves. They're going to not, build it up. And I think if we break down barriers and walls to tell the stories that are meaningful in an impactful way, the whole world is a better place. And that's within the sports industry. And, but that's anywhere, right? Like that's in a book that's written, that's in a um, homeless shelter, that's in politics, right? Like you kind of like that idea of tracing the money. And so um, you know, when you see a documentary, it's like, who produced the documentary and why am I like not using plastic straws? Like who was telling me not to use plastic straws, a fishing company or like save the ocean? I don't know. Um, but I think like in this women's sports ecosystem, there's no one willing to take the risk and you're seeing it change every day. And just being like, we're going to do this because we know that the reward on the other side of making this premium and investing is more than just doing the right thing. And right now the investment has only been about doing the right thing. And I think what's really cool about the space that I exist in now outside of Adidas in this women's focused team at Wasserman is that every day we're trying to infiltrate the system to push the boundaries, to create meaningful change that's going to be passed on from generation to generation. And I think that's what's really unique about, you know, and I think both of you have been fortunate enough to meet some of these WNBA players. And I think female athletes in general is that we understand the responsibility. I think now what they would say is uh, we understood the assignment, but 
we understand that anything we do now, I might have a maximum earning potential of $200,000, but the girl in college that I'm mentoring is going to make a million dollars doing the exact same job, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I carry on my shoulders every day. And I make my decisions for her, not for me, for my future daughter, not for me. And I think you, you see that. And right now, like we're doing studies to understand women's run companies, you know, women, companies that have majority uh, women, female equity stakeholders are, are going to be more successful. And we're trying to do that research to prove it, but like, you got to get the facts to support it, but we're not often given seats at the table. And before we were fighting for those seats. So there was only one of us. Mm-hmm. And so that's just like, again, like this, this really vicious cycle. Um, and I think being part of that change um, has allowed me um, the opportunity to change who I am and take that responsibility um, onto my own shoulders. It's the really heavy weight, but it's worth it. Um, and, I, and I also think to your point, I mean, like I've seen you change into an extreme ally. And I think that's been really cool to do together. Yeah, I was a hater for sure. And I'm definitely a huge supporter and advocate for all of women's sports, all of investment in women. I mean, shit, if I'm starting a company right now and I want to create an executive council, that is most likely going to be half or more than half women because you guys are unbelievable and and are doing unbelievable things and possess a lot of qualities that men don't. And not to say that, you know, we're completely- I think it's just also privilege, right? Like men have had the privilege over time to not have to like, you're seeing the cycle hit now where like more women are going to college, right? Because now that they can, and they've had to, like more women are going to grad school because like we've had to over-educate, over-invest. Like we've had to have a job while also- raise a kid while also, you know what I mean? Because like those opportunities didn't exist for us. And so you're now seeing this like generational oppression come and now we're overqualified. Yeah. Let let me throw something out, Maddie, then I'll have you comment on it. I think one of the unique parts of your job, as well as your WNBA players that you've been working with is that they're pioneers, you're a pioneer. You know, you're at a certain stage in women's professional sports where it's emerging and you're building it. But you also, unlike a lot of pioneers, you recognize kind of where you are on the stage of the development of of women's profile in professional sports. You get it that we are laying the groundwork for others and you have a recognition of that, which is not always the case. You don't always know you're a pioneer, even though you are. does that play a role in who you represent or who you select to represent the company or your agency? Because they've yeah, got a very you're... public face and they can't make mistakes and they've got to be better than good. Yeah, it's a strategy question around brand building, right? And I think when you're building a brand, you need to strategically balance out the needs of the business, right? So I think when you're building a portfolio, you're going to look for the best basketball player, but then you're also going to look at someone who's going to 
speak the best on a panel as it relates to women's rights or have the most elite um, social media presence or be the most unique because again, like you're creating a business. And I think that's what's so unique about female athletes and just women in general is that we're so multidimensional within within our existence because we've had to be um, because we haven't been afforded. We're not, we're not afforded the luxury to be the best at something and that create extreme financial success. Right. So, you know, there's this argument, right? Like you're seeing the NBA have, ex- have issues with vaccination. The WNBA had like a 90%, 99% vaccination rate within like the first month um, where, you know, part of that is because there's, if you make millions of dollars, there's no consequences. If you don't make millions of dollars, like you don't have that same inherent privilege. So to your point, it's just like, we understand the responsibility because there's a lack of privileges that exist within our world. We can't just walk into a room. We can't just um, say, oh, I'm not gonna take this opportunity because if I, oh, and just so you know, John Gruden resigned as a Raiders coach. Um, wow. Yeah as it relates to like sexist and racist comments uh, that just came up. Sorry. In the, um, like the newsfeed. Um, there's no, again, like if you make a mistake, the consequences are bigger. And you see that too. I think also like you two are white males. You guys can make a ton of mistakes, right? I think yeah. part of what has allowed me to be really great is that I've always leaned into my privilege. I've tried to be a voice for a voiceless community in spaces where I can, because I understand that if you don't like my tone and you fire me, I'm always going to eat, you know, like, cool, fire me. I can, I can do that. I have that privilege where if the worst thing happens, I'm going to be okay. And so I, I, to your question, I think, you know, that intention exists within our, within the existence of the people in the, in the female athlete space, especially in the WNBA, because the WNBA traditionally, you know, I like to say right now, I think someone called me out on this because I, I had previously said the WNBA is everything America hates black, gay, transgender um, women. Right. I think now it's the biggest opportunity (laughs) because the reality is, is the world's woken up to the power in each of those oppressed spaces. And that really that's, what's going to drive us forward. And so, you know, when I had the opportunity to sign Sabrina, I said, hell no. I was like, I have 15 black women on on this roster that don't get attention. And if I sign Sabrina, that's all the media is going to want to do within our Adidas portfolio. I'm not doing that. And that was a risk that I could take because again, I'm privileged and I'm going to like, there are times when I am going to lean into that privilege because I think if you don't lean into that privilege, you won't have the opportunity to create change. Yeah. Wow. Um, What's your timeline? Like supposed to go to John and Melissa's for dinner, but um, I'm, chilling i said i'd be there between 6 45 and 7 and they were about 10 minutes away okay Um, for the listeners that's my aunt and uncle you know yeah no so 
you transformed Adidas women's basketball. And then, you know, we can get into kind of what's going on now. Recently, uh, a few months ago or a couple months ago, you left Adidas after 10 years and are now an agent at Wasserman. Um, can you just talk a little bit about kind of what inspired that change and kind of what you're excited about with this new role, what new opportunities you have, how this is, you know, going to change what you do. Um, I mean, even though you're in a similar space, you know, you're no longer with a brand, but you're with an agency. So that opens a lot of things up. Um, you know, what kind of, what kind of things are you looking forward to and what inspired this change? Yeah, I think one of the most underrated abilities in a person's career is knowing when to quit and knowing when it's time to grow and taking that risk and betting on yourself. I think often we get comfortable, especially when you have your dream job, that why would you leave something that's good? And that makes you happy every day and that has extreme perks. And, you know, I wrestled with that. I think anyone who knows me knows that, you know, I probably, if I'm being honest, stayed in it about a year or two long. Obviously, COVID happened. Um, but at the end of the day, when I reflected on my time, there was nothing left for me to do. And, it wasn't the same joy anymore. Like that change that I was able to create, I was now seeing that impact around the industry. So like things that I was doing in 2016, now you see Jordan Brand doing and Puma doing it. It's like, wow, this is amazing. I love it here. But I was like, but now I'm comfortable. And there's like, in order for this to be any better, someone else needs to do it because I'm out of ideas, you know? And I think, you know, Candace jokes around, um, she was recently quoted, Candace Parker was quoted. She's like, I have a team around me that when it's time to hang it up, I've told them, yo, let me know. And it's kind of like, I have a team around me that I really trust that kind of came to me and was like, might be time, Maddie. Like, I don't know what's left here. And like, you're really talented. Yeah. And I think a lot of times your identity when you work in sports, like, you know, or when you have a career like dad for so long, like you become what you do. It's like, Oh, I'm Madison from Adidas. Like this is Maddie at Adidas. I wanted to be something else. I wanted to understand who I was outside of Maddie and Adidas. Um, I wasn't ready to leave the industry because it's something I'm so passionate about and something that there's still so much room for changed and like like people aren't making a million dollars a year you know what i mean like there's still this climb still room to grow but at the same time like i wanted to be a part of that too and i was willing to do that and i think what's really unique and i think serendipitous is that that happened right at the the time of nil Mm -hmm. And for the listener, that's name, image, and likeness. So it's like I got to transition into a space that now, because at Adidas, what I always say about the women's space and what kept me there was like, I'm, I got in at the beginning. You know, you kind of always think about tech 
and people that get in the beginning and how it's so cool to watch, you know, a startup. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of got into women's basketball at the beginning, like at Adidas, at least like I got at the beginning and then I got to grow. And then it's like, we went public. <laughs> right. It's like, right. okay, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah. Right. So name image likeness, college athletes, or I guess any non-professional athlete can make money off their name, their image likeness and not be ineligible to play, whether it's high school, college, whatever. They don't lose their status. And research shows that um, based upon current trends in social media and brands that female athletes, women athletes have the most earning potential, um, specifically in basketball, um, but also in other sports like soccer and gymnastics. And I, you know, I'd be remiss if I were to sit here and say what that means. And, you know, I'm obviously not going to speak on behalf of a company that I only have worked for, for I'm on week five, but I think again, the opportunity to be at something from the beginning and to really create change in a very impactful industry that sets the tone for the future is an opportunity you don't pass up period. Yeah. Are there athletes out there now, college athletes or non-professionals on the women's side that are actually making money off their name, image, or likeness? Is it happening? I mean, yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, but it's to what scale? Like, you know, everyone's different. Every representation is different. um, And every strategy is different, you know? And what I believe in and what we're going to do at Wasserman is going to be different than, you know, someone who's doing it on their own or someone who is with a different agency. But I think the reality is, is what we all want to see is we want to see people compensated for their work and we want to see an equal playing field and we want to create lasting change within communities and industry. Yeah. Um, Okay. This one last thing. Can you just tell us about, I'll, I'll probably, maybe we can go into more detail about this later, but like, can you just talk a little bit about your now, your kind of newfound entrepreneurial spirit, entrepreneurial hustle that, you know, now you are doing things other than just work for a large company, but you're starting to branch out and, you know, build some other businesses. Um, Just can you talk a little bit about that? And I mean, we could do a whole other I kind of want to save some stuff for later, um, but just like, where is this entrepreneurial side of you come from? Yeah. I mean, I think we talked about it as women, there's this idea that you have to be entrepreneurial because it's a way to, to achieve financial success and freedom. I also think, you know, when you work in creative spaces, you want to get creativity off and find ways to like have ownership over your own stuff, right? Like you want to public speak, you want to, um, get recognition for your work. And sometimes that's hard under the, the constructs of corporate organizations. Um, I've also like watched you do it. Right. And, and <laughs> do you guys hear that? Penny. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've also, you know, watch you do it and been inspired by your ability to hit the ground running in these entrepreneurial spaces. So Um, I also, you know, and and COVID, I think COVID changed everything for everyone. We had time to sit with ourselves and understand like the gaps in the market. (laughs) 
to do fun things. And, and I think for me, I've always been labeled as bossy and aggressive and this and that. I'm fortunate enough to work in a company and a team that values that, but also there's always been this idea, well, ain't nobody, ain't nobody can tell me what to do if I'm working for myself, you know? And so how do I find that balance that one day, maybe that's something I want to do. And I also think, you know, and this kind of maybe leads into your reading, preaching, preaching and plugging is that just like doing cool shit with your friends is a dream. Yeah. And I have friends that do cool shit. And I have family that does cool shit. Yeah. So um, it's like, I just want to grow up and do fun things with the homies. And if I happen to make money, that's cool. So like I have a homie, some homies that have some money and like we're creating golf bags. Um, Yeah. For the listener, Madison launched custom sevens, custom golf bag business with Kyle Lowry and a couple other friends. And they're making the nicest custom golf bags on the market. Yeah. And uh yeah, I guess that'd be what I was plugging. We will get there. But yeah, I think it's just really cool. I think, you know, we all, again, it goes like, guess what our slogan is? Every bag tells a story. And it goes back to that idea of like, just storytelling and the importance of storytelling within product. I think like, you know, you do it. That's what Marathon Minute is, right? Is the storytelling of people who don't have platforms to tell their story. Um, And so one way to tell your story is through a golf bag because, what we found in the pandemic is that people want to be outside and people want to enjoy each other's company in a safe way. And one way to do that is over a golf game. And so if you have the money to, (laughs) if you have the money to be able to tell your story on a bag, um, this is a great subtle flex. Subtle flex. Okay. Um, Let's get into our eating, reading, preaching and plugging. I'm going to, I want to save some stuff for, to have you on another time bonus episode in person bonus episode in person yeah that'd be dope um so yeah let's uh get into what are you i mean you're one of the best chefs i know what are you eating recently or like what if you were to like tell the people one of your signature dishes what would it be yeah um I just am mad at you because ever since you left Portland, I don't get to cook as much because I love cooking, but it's not so fun to cook for yourself. So don't be I would mad say, at me. I'm mad. I'm missing that too. Shit. Um, I love to cook. I think just generally speaking, I'm a scratch recipe type of, of person. I believe like, you know, classic Jewish mother, you know, if, if you're at the house, you need to be fed. And so I love to cook, but I would say right now I'm about to leave Portland. Um, Portland, I think, is arguably one of the greatest food cities in the country, if not the world. And so I'm just really trying to enjoy my favorite takeout. Um, anything from, you know, Northern Thai right, Get food, to it, bro. What, this is a, ain't an interview. It's me and you. What are you eating? Like <laughs> anything from Northern Thai? What? <laughs> what are you eating, yeah. bro? I'm just eating anything on caviar that delivers. Shout out. Oh Postmates. my God. Give us a restaurant or a dish. The last thing I ate was Chipotle. <laughs> oh my God. If someone's visiting Portland, what's a must, Actually, you know what's what a must go to? This is tragic. I had for lunch panic. <laughs> oh, now you're talking mad, bro. Okay. This is like, I just tried to set you up with a lob talking about how good of a cook you are and how you make these <laughs> signature dishes. And you came with Chipotle and Panda Express. I'm actually I was, no, I, shocked. I just want to say is, like this is my thing with eating 
cooking is one of my favorite things and I'm super hyped to move to LA and have like the nicest kitchen I've ever had and and to like get in the kitchen and eat really clean I think um yeah I just want to I want to spend some time in in the in the fucking kitchen man chefing it up but I haven't done it in a while so it's hard okay I'm cooking for dad. I'm cooking a shrimp scampi. If I'm cooking for you, I'm cooking like a bowl with sweet potatoes, black beans, greens, and probably a house made sauce. Maybe. Right. Yeah. I love okay. the shrimp scampi. Okay. What are you reading? Again, I just started a new job. And so what I'm trying to do is keep up on industry news. So like every day, it's really cool is they'll send us what's happening within the industry. So we'll get articles around whether it's sports business journal or even Forbes, anything that's happening both within the sports space and the business space in that intersection, um, which is something that I haven't been fed before. Right. And so um, now I'm, yeah, now I'm getting that information and just trying to expand my industry knowledge um, and learn more about the gaps within the industry and where we can fill those. Wow. Beautiful. Um, okay. Uh, AKA, you... I haven't read a book in like yeah. two months. <laughs> All these corporate ass answers. Like, who is this? <laughs> um, okay, what are you preaching? Every bag tells a story. No, that's a plug-in. No, what I'm preaching, I think for me, it is be the change. I think take control of your own narrative. I love the idea of the Matthew McConaughey or whatever. I think- um, Green lights. You know, green lights. <laughs> Follow the green lights. And I also think, didn't Kelly say it? Like be the- Be the star the main of character. Yeah. Be, be the main character and see something happen, the risk and do it. So for me, that was quitting my job. And for me, that's now moving, selling a house, moving. It's like, if you want change, you have to be it. So be the change. Nice, like that. What do you plug in? Man. Hashtag custom sevens. Watch the fucking WNBA finals. Like it's so good. Support women's sports. Bet on women. Um, I think viewership counts. It's one thing to say like, oh yeah, I totally care. It's another thing to like actually engage, actually turn on the television, retweet a story, like an Instagram post. When you challenge a friend, like when you go to practice and someone's like, oh, did you watch the game last night? And you're like, oh yeah, the the Mercury, I thought they were going to win. And they're like, oh no, I was talking about Warriors preseason. It's like, that's trash. You're watching preseason. Like the finals are on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I Put, put your money where your mouth is. And I can attest, I sat courtside yesterday afternoon, WNBA finals in Phoenix. I mean, on the floor, I got a firsthand look at some of the greatest athletes. Yeah. uh, And the basketball was great. Yeah. I was very impressed, Maddie, to tell you the truth. I thought the level of basketball was clearly the highest I've seen of any WNBA game I've seen live or on TV. I was very impressed. The finals, like, baby. You got two goats up against each other. Yep. So, yeah. yeah, I agree. Thanks, Matt, for taking me. That was awesome. It's a great experience. Yeah. Watch women's sports. Tell your friends. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, well, we'll let you go to dinner. Um, this was fun. You. Uh, Sorry, I have technical difficulties. No, that was, that was on us. Um, 
but I think there's definitely still a lot we need to talk about and we could definitely do a part two bonus episode. Um, but for real, I learned, I learned some things I didn't know about you, even though I thought I knew everything. Um, I think your, your story is needed and extremely important for, for anyone um, just chasing a dream. I think you're proof of putting in the work and not taking no for an answer on uh, a journey to do what you wish to do, which is, you know, be a change in, you know, an industry that's difficult to change. So you inspire me, you inspire a lot of other people. I love you. And this was dope. Love you, Maddie. Thank you. Way to, way to cap off season one, bro. Hopefully, you know, there are some gems. Always. Oh, Rose. <laughs> hey. Hey. All right. I'll tell uh, your brother. Yeah. Yes, tell him hi. Please. Okay. Yeah. Tell him to say hi. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.